Great. Hello, everybody. I'm Hubert. I'm your host, along with Ralph, your co-host. We are the authors of uh, Streaming Databases, and I'm here with John and Leonid, who are the founders of Acclivity. Um, welcome, you guys. Super excited to have this talk again. We, we, we talked to each other a while back, just getting to know you guys. Um, let's start with the uh, Leonid, can you um, kind of give yourself an introduction and your motivation to create activity as well, you know, and then I'll follow you with, uh, with John. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having us and uh, enjoyed the, 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 the first part of the conversation we had and really excited about the, the follow up here. But um, I'm Leonid. I'm, as, uh, as you introduced already, Hubert, one of the co-founders of Acclivity. I'm also the CEO. And uh, the story of Acclivity is actually a continuation of a journey that John and I started at a previous company called Kazing. Um, so uh, Kazing was a company that John founded and the focus of Kazing was bringing WebSocket to, to the enterprise. And uh, at Kazing, we, we had a, a solution called the Kazing WebSocket Gateway, which extended the reach of JMS, sort of the predecessor to Kafka at the time down to mobile and, and web clients. And uh, when we were at Kazing, um, we began to notice a, a few things happening after a few years. Uh, the first was the, the arrival of Kafka. So many of, uh, of our customers were beginning to ask if they uh, could use our solution to extend the reach of Kafka down to their mobile and web clients. Um, and then, but more broadly, we began to see that uh, streaming APIs were becoming more prevalent inside organizations and that a lot of the existing API management practices and solutions out there that were designed to handle REST were really not fit for, uh, for streaming, for WebSocket, but not just WebSocket, for other types of, of streaming and async APIs. So we, we kind of went back to the drawing board and, and began to think about, well, uh, what can we do to, A, uh, deliver something that will work uh, with this new generation of event-driven architectures that are based on Kafka, but more broadly, what can we do that would support uh, developers and teams in their journey of uh, adopting streaming APIs? So that started at Kazing, and then after a few things kind of went one way and the other, um, we, uh, John and I, decided to continue the effort in the context of a, of a new venture. Um, and that's kind of how Acclivity came about. So although awesome. uh, Acclivity is young, it's actually, you know, the, the built on the, or continuation of a multi-year journey that started prior. Awesome. Your turn, John. Hey, thanks, Hubert. Uh, also, thank you so much for uh, having us on the podcast. This is this is really fun. Yeah, so at Kazang, apart from the things that Leanna mentioned, um, I, we also uh, learned some lessons. And uh, one of the things that we learned, so first of all, let's say we created a product called Kazing WebSocket Gateway that extended the reach of Java messaging, JMS, down to uh, web and mobile clients. And the way we did that was to create some JMS APIs, which are traditionally in Java, but made them available to all kinds of other client platforms that were non-Java. Uh, to give you a sense of how long ago this was, it included things like Flash and Silverlight, as well as JavaScript, right? Yeah. Um, in plugins in the browsers. So we understood the importance of maintaining that Java messaging approach down to the client. 
And uh, it worked great for people that already knew Java messaging, but it didn't work as well for people that were stepping up to messaging for the first time. And then it got even more interesting as things like Kafka came along where uh, people wanted to use Kafka instead of JMS on the back of this JMS gateway. And so we started experimenting with making Kafka look like JMS to the gateway. So they were programming in JMS APIs on the client, but there was no actual JMS in the architecture, right? Mm -hmm. more bizarre. So we learned the lesson that it was better to meet the clients where they are and the protocols that they know and love and the SDKs they already have in place at the client rather than asking them to create, uh, to use an SDK that we created. Uh, to support something like JMS. And so that creates uh, a protocol mismatch problem. So it means that you're trying to make people that, uh, clients that are able to speak, say, HTTP request response or WebSocket or server send events or MQTT for IoT and other protocols and try to fit them together with uh, other message-driven architectures on the back like Kafka. So the uh, Eclivity Zilla project uh, basically performs that task in this uh, proxy that we have that sits in the middle that does protocol transformation. Wow, that's that was a, a lot of information. Let me try to unpack all that. Um, it sounds like a, um, Activity is basically an API gateway to anything that is asynchronous as far as data. That's that's is that correct? That's right. Um, the internals of the architecture thinks of everything as a stream of data. It doesn't really matter what level of uh, protocol we're talking about. If it's like straight TCP or encrypted TLS or HTTP streaming or WebSocket bidirectional, even Kafka message flows, everything is a stream. So inside Zilla, we fit these things together to make it possible to reach technologies like Kafka from uh, other non-Kafka clients. Nice. And then supporting all these many different protocols is so that you have a really good developer's experience as far as like integration to existing applications and knowledge that they already know and you have this proxy that enables all of that is that, is that correct that's right they meeting them where they are means that we're um we, we look the apis that we were able to expose to them already look familiar to them and they can use familiar tools and tool chains to, to reach them and integrate them with their applications well excellent let me just turn up my no notifications here apologize for that um, okay great um so Tell, tell us a couple of like use cases that you you have or you see out there in the field that you you, you like to talk about are, are they web you know javascript web-based are they phone-based or tell me more about what that means yeah so so historically our are the 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 use case that we have a lot of experience with is again extending the reach of real-time data streams down to mobile and web clients so everything you know, any any industry uh, where sort of real time matters and real time is, is a key component of the user experience and of the business, such as logistics or mm -hmm. uh, financial sector or online sports betting. Um, that's been a use case that we've been uh, um, have had a lot of experience with so this idea of sending or pushing real time notifications down to uh, browsers or, or mobile devices. Um, but Zilla is multi protocol, as John has said. So besides supporting APIs that are, um, you know, such as as service sent events or REST that are traditionally used by web clients. We also support MQTT, 
So uh, another uh, big use case that we are seeing is the, the desire to bridge um, IoT clients with a Kafka backend. So IoT clients usually speak MQTT, um, and there is this need to uh, ingest the data from, from IoT clients into a, a Kafka backend for real-time processing, and then going the other way around, pushing data from uh, from Kafka to uh, to the IoT clients. So these are some of the main things that we've seen so far. Cool, cool. So um, so let's let's kind of clarify what Zilla is. So so uh, Acclivity is the is the company, and Zilla is the open source project that is this kind of asynchronous gateway for for uh customers to, or developers to use right um there are a couple of things right. i'd like to talk about in, in, in that idea um uh so i i i heard that you support both source and sync um apis right so you are able to grab data from their places and put it into a an asynchronous uh system and then expose that data same that same data as a uh external uh api for others to consume is that correct yep yeah one good example of that i think that's fully end end is grpc which we didn't touch on earlier so uh, we support mapping uh, grpc to kafka and we also support mapping Kafka back to gRPC. So as a mental model for that, you can imagine having a gRPC client speaking directly to a gRPC server. And then you can imagine stretching that apart a little bit and putting Zilla in between where it acts as a straight gRPC proxy where the data is flowing through and you can apply things like uh, security and perhaps validation, other things at the proxy on the way. And then you can imagine teasing Zilla apart even more into two separate Zillas, one on either side of Kafka where one is going gRPC to Kafka and the other side is going Kafka to gRPC. And you still have the same end-to-end -end effect overall, but you have Kafka in the, in the middle. And why would you do that is so that you could switch out either side of that, right? So you can make it such that you can have uh, a evolution of your gRPC service towards event-driven architecture directly connected to Kafka, but still maintain the same gRPC contract to the gRPC clients. Or conversely, on the other way around, where you've got a gRPC service that you're trying to reach out to from an event-driven microservice, you can interact with that by sending messages to and from Kafka. And Zilla will take care of mapping it and calling the gRPC service and getting the answers back to you. Oh, nice. So, and and there's, of course, you're going to respect schemas there. And so you understand yes. the schema, you understand that how to transform those serialization formats. Um, yes. As you said, this is a really nice approach and solution for event-driven architectures between microservices, especially um, that can stretch, you know, uh, uh, your application across uh, availability zones and um, regions. Um, this is very, you know, operational side approach uh, use cases. So, as you know, in streaming. There are two types of streams, right? There are change streams, and there are uh, like append-only streams that are technically all inserts, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of represent those types of streams, and how you how do you handle what would an API look like 
from one type of stream to another type of stream? So I I think that um, what you're describing there are in, in Kafka terms would would boil down to basically the the kind of retention policy or the uh, the, the approach of how the data is is managed inside, say, a Kafka topic, where um, you can have different cleanup policies. Maybe you would do it based on time. Maybe you do it based on total amount stored. And this is the append only that has a sliding window, perhaps over time or space. And then there's another form which has uh, a uh, compaction, a log compaction approach, uh, where if you have multiple messages with the same key, even though it's still append only, the subsequent message with the same key logically replaces the previous one. So it feels more like a table, even though it's actually still a stream and it's still append only. Okay. So uh, in our case, Zilla has a pretty clean integration with Kafka in that regard. Uh, we have a Kafka cache inside uh, Zilla that honors these retention policies by asking Kafka what's the expected behavior. So uh, whenever uh, Zilla is reaching out to Kafka to uh, fill messages into the cache from specific topics and understands what the cleanup policy is and understands how to maintain that retention policy or that log compaction effect on it inside Zilla's cache so that as we map it onto other protocols, we're maintaining the same uh, semantics. One, one of the problems that we've seen in the past with uh, messaging style architectures, like I was mentioning earlier about JMS and others, um, where you don't have this knowledge is that the application publishes messages onto the message bus with mm -hmm. some expectation of how it should be retained. But in order to right. have that be honored on the side of the line on the other say have to put application specific here because we we're able to understand the intent at the time that a message was published into Kafka based on what the cleanup policy is, and we're able to honor that. We don't need to actually know what the application specifics are because uh, they're already conveyed by what the topic is configured to do or clean up. All right, yeah. Uh, you, John, you were breaking up there a little bit, um, oh, uh, at, least, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, that's okay, uh, but I, I think I got, let me see if I could kind of summarize what you just said. So um, let's say if it's not Kafka, it's, let's say it's some JMSQ, you, you mm -hmm. still have those same problems, right? You still have the idea of, uh, of an append stream versus exchange stream. Uh, and you can still represent, use those uh, uh, messaging systems as if they were emulating a, uh, in a compacted topic or, or, uh, uh, or otherwise into the, the kind of the same API endpoint that developers would use, right? So let's, let's take that for instance, for instance, I replicate some data using Debezium from Postgres and I put it into say Kafka. And I use Activity to expose that that data um, to to the end users, to the applications, right? Um, in that compacted topic, you're going to see, you know, possibly multiple records of the same ID, right? Maybe an update, yep. maybe a, a, you know the original insert, possibly. This Kafka cache that you have in Activity does does it? materialize the view yeah so what happens is uh, inside kafka it um there's a there's an amortization of, of when when the cleanup occurs so when you go and uh, query a log compacted topic even though a more recent message with the same key has actually been 
appended, you might still see duplicates, right, of the same message. And so you have to do some kind of cleanup when you receive it to make sure that you process that properly. From uh, the cache's point of view inside Zilla, we notice that as it's happening on the way into the cache. And so even in real time, if it's happening in real time, and we're getting constant updates flowing into the cache, and a new request comes in, maybe it wants to get um, a stream of the latest of all the different keys, we will guarantee within the cache not to present any duplicates on the initial bootstrap. So this is this is what's typically common uh, called in messaging, like the initial value problem, right? When you're trying to bootstrap a stream and you want to get all the initial values right. and then continue with updates after that. So when you're presenting the initial values of all of the different unique keys within the stream, you want to make sure you just have one of each and Zilla guarantees that. And then of course, we'll continue to send updates afterwards as they occur. Yeah, I love I love the way you you kind of you gave that name uh, the initial value problem. Um, I like that name. I don't think I've I've heard that uh, that term. I, I know the problem very very well. Yeah. I don't think I've ever yeah. The term. I like the way you kind of put that um, uh, or, or created that name there. Um, the so let, let's go a bit further on this idea. So I have let's say that original table from Postgres was a you know ten thousand users, right? So now I have 10,000 users in my Kafka cache. So a couple of questions. Um, is that cache sharded or distributed across multiple instances? And number two, I would never, the endpoint probably never gives me 10,000 customers or 10,000 users at a time. There's gotta be some kind of, of, of aggregation or list or query engine that allows me to, to filter that down to what I wanna see. Right. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So uh, one of the things we do inside this Kafka cache inside Zilla as well is that we apply indexing on the fly uh, very cheaply as messages are arriving into the cache. And then we also apply that uh, filter criteria based on queries that are coming in from the clients so that you can have uh, even even things like extracting path parameters, not necessarily query parameters, but extracting path segments that can act as parameters into uh, the the filter on the cache, we just get a subset of the messages arriving. Um, that's very commonly used in, for example, uh, say server sent events, where we're streaming messages down into, uh, say, an HTML5 browser where the uh, event source API in JavaScript is built in. And mm -hmm. uh, the, there's even very advanced reconnect logic in there to uh, make it easy to recover uh, without message loss uh, in, uh, in the stream. So we've implemented support for that inside Zilla as well. And uh, we should probably talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the uh, message sharding uh, is an uh, for example, uh, we map, which is, you know, an IoT protocol, uh, we map uh, a set of uh, almost like paths. Uh, that are describing the different endpoints you can publish and subscribe to, uh, onto different Kafka topics. So uh, you can control uh, the way that you map the the uh, high-level MQTT topics onto which Kafka topics you want. And the set... John, I think you're breaking up pretty heavily right now. And um, I'm going to turn off my video. Okay. Yeah, because this is an audio podcast anyway, so um, all right, let's it doesn't do really that. matter how how good looking we all are. So, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, if, if could you recap? Uh, basically, um, you started cutting out at the very beginning of the of the description of how you're sharding. So if you could start there, that would be okay. great. Thanks, and thanks for letting me know. So it's better this way, of course, right? We can edit it. Um, right. I, yeah. So this is as far as sharding goes. I, this is uh, very important, of course, and in in protocols like MQTT, where uh, which is used for IoT, uh, Internet of Things. Um, we map the high-level MQTT uh, topic space uh, onto uh, one or more Kafka topics. And with uh, support for Kafka consumer groups, we're able to distribute uh, the delivery of the data onto uh, different uh, Zilla instances. And that means that some subset of the MQTT topic space is dedicated to a specific client. So if you imagine that there's a path that represents the topic in MQTT, part of that path may include, say, the client ID itself. Mm -hmm. And so every subtopic underneath that, therefore, is only intended for one specific client, right, when you fill in a value for the client ID. So that means you don't need all the data on all the instances. And uh, we're able to uh, shard the data across multiple different Zilla instances. And then, of course, that means there's a particular Zilla instance that has a particular topic partition that has hashed client ID specific MQTT topics onto that one Zilla instance. And so therefore, if a MQTT client comes in and lands on quote unquote, the wrong Zilla instance that's not for its client ID, it needs to be redirected over to the other one. So we have support for that as well. And then of course, when you scale out and scale in, um, you may have more or less uh, Zilla instances uh, acting in unison. Um, and then when that happens, the uh, that rebalancing of that consumer group happens across the different Zilla instances and may redistribute the uh, client ID specific state across them. And then we can move the clients around and rebalance and get everything sorted out the way it should be. I see. Um, One more question about the MQTT interface, because here it's not just about the like, interface or API translation is also about the differences between the protocols, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you said that yes. in MQTT, you have this plethora of topics, basically, because actually every um, every path through the, the topic hierarchy is actually its own topic. And if you translate yes. that one-to-one -to, -one to Kafka, then you have like too many topics in Kafka, simply. And also, yeah. if you... We, and also we don't MQTT map support, it one -to -one. Yeah, so, so you can choose, right? Mm -hmm. That's cool. And the other thing is also, um, so protocols like MQTT, they have a different behavior when it comes to multiple clients. So they can support many, many more clients compared to Kafka. So how do you deal with this also, with this mismatch? Yeah, so there's two things there. Um, one is the fact that in MQTT, the um, one way to think about MQTT topic space is that the topic name is just an attribute of the message, and it's really just like one big space. And so, when you're when you're filtering uh, with these wildcards in the topic names in different segments of the path of the, of the topic name, um, you're really just applying a filter into this big topic space. That's one way to think about okay. it. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that uh, within each specific MQTT topic, order is guaranteed. So the order in which you publish a message has to match the order in which you receive a message when you subscribe from an MQTT point of view. Okay, so when you so map you that over into one partition, Kafka, right? 
only. When you, yeah, uh, you when you have that, right, when, right for the same for the same MQTT topic, right? So whenever we map mm -hmm. that over into Kafka topics, it means that uh, we use the the full topic name from MQTT as the message key, and all messages from that same topic will hash to the same um, partition within the target Kafka topic, so that the order is maintained. Um, ah, <laughs> right, and then of course, because you've got that as the key, uh, you can actually in, in the Kafka topic you can have more than one uh, MQTT topic mapping onto the same Kafka topic partition. Right, it's just that there has to be consistency mm -hmm. from MQTT to Kafka. There doesn't have to be a one-to-one -one relationship, right? Like that, oh, okay. uh, just to guarantee ordering, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing. And then I think you also mentioned uh, Ralph about uh, multiple clients. Could you just uh, expand on that a little bit? What you're asking? I mean, I mean, I just know. I mean, just I'm not an insider with MQTT, but I, um, what I know is that it supports many more clients than Kafka. So I mean, oh, Kafka, just in general. Yeah, just in general. So you have thousands of sensors connected to MQTT, whereas you sure. would, would have problems with you with like thousands of clients yeah. in, on Kafka. Right. Yeah. So uh, with uh, with Zilla, what we're able to do is we're able to do uh, connection offload. So I also because there's not this one-to-one -one relationship with the topics we're not fetching from you know a, a, a fantastic number of uh kafka topics right you're able to control how many of those we need mm -hmm. to fetch from and then uh, in terms of just like tcp level connectivity if you like uh zilla's fronting that connectivity out to uh mqtt clients right it's, it's the one receiving the mqtt connections directly and managing that when uh, it needs to go talk to the cache to get stuff uh, for the clients, that's all happening sort of on the front edge of Zilla, closer to the client. And then on the back, uh, it's it's having a smaller number of connections to go talk to Kafka to populate the cache and honor the semantics of the MQTT session state, things like that. Okay, that's really cool. So the, bur so, the burden on Kafka is quite, quite low, even if you scale okay. out a larger number of clients on the MQTT mm -hmm. side. To talk um, in another session, I think, because we would like to build something like some combination of MQTT, MQTT and Kafka at my job, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to follow up with you. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So, um, there's a lot of things that just uh, that just came out of that. I think um, the idea of shuffling the data across multiple instances. Um, uh, I think indexing on the fly is is uh, great. Um, one thing on indexing, are you? Um, it's already partitioned, right? Through use, using the same kind of uh, um, uh, you know partitioning that Kafka provides you. Who who is responsible for actually creating the API? Like, w what are the roles as far as developers here? Um, does can can the say the consumer of the endpoint? Also define how uh, the shard, uh, the sharding strategy or the share um, happens between like multiple um, instances of uh, of activity or or or, or Zill. Um, can you tell me more about like what what the roles are, or do they do you feel like the the consumer of the endpoint doesn't have any should not be part of exposing how uh, the data is uh, served? Yeah, that's a great question. So our general philosophy with, with Zilla um, 
first of all, it's it's an entirely declarative configuration. It's all in YAML, and I think uh, our example of an MQTT broker where Zilla is making Kafka look like an MQTT broker, I think is less than 100 lines of, of YAML. And that's like front to back, TCP, you know, TLS, MQTT, Kafka Cache, Kafka Client, all of it. Um, and the idea is that because it's declarative like that, what we what we uh, encourage the developers to do is, is express to us um, what needs to happen, and then we take care of the how under the covers, right? And so that that gives us freedom to innovate over time and change how we approach it as long as we're honoring the same what at the high level, right? So an example of that is uh, like in the MQTT case, we need to understand what is the MQTT uh, topic path uh, prefix that is uh, dedicated to uh, clients. And so that allows us to understand what uh, subset of the topics are uh, only going to go to a specific client or another client, but not to all clients. And then other uh, MQTT topics are more broadcast, right? Where they uh, need to go to everybody. So then it shouldn't matter what Zilla instance you're on, you should still be able to get the data. So we can support both of those. I see. Um, so there is a bit of SQL in it. How 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 much of the SQL, um, ANSI uh, SQL compliancy do, do you support? Um, are, are you able to aggregate data, uh, join, um, et cetera? Our, um, not yet. So our approach for this is to uh, make it work with the Kafka cache and have the filtering and the indexing and all that. And it's it's really just targeting like one topic at a time there. In terms of joining stuff together, I, I think our approach to that that's on the roadmap that most cleanly aligns with that is probably GraphQL where we would be able to map GraphQL onto Kafka, for example, and other things. And then the, the GraphQL piece itself would handle the joining. And then if we wanted to map other protocols to GraphQL, we'd probably do that and to bring it to, to bear for, for folks that don't use GraphQL as their actual client. Right, uh, interesting. Um, um, there's a lot of really interesting things that we just talked about. Uh, do, you, do you guys have like a visual uh, code extension that we could people can use like how how can we what are the, some of the tools we could use to work with you and and how can one get started with using um uh, zilla or acclivity lena do you want to take that yeah sure so we do have a what's, what's the difference between acclivity and zilla <laughs> also, so, so, between the commercial uh, product and the that's that's a I guess that's an important part to clarify. So Acclivity is the, is the company, uh, that's the, the actual commercial entity. Zilla is the name of the open source project. Today, most of our efforts are on open source, so we're an open source first company. We do have a commercial uh, offering of Zilla called Zilla Plus, which is uh, basically everything that's in Zilla plus additional commercial integrations that target. Um, cloud-based deployments. So if you're running Zilla in AWS and there's need for integration with Secrets Manager uh, or with some of the other proprietary AWS tooling, uh, Zilla Plus supports that. And then Zilla Plus also includes obviously enterprise support. Uh, but in terms of how to get started, so Zilla is open source. So if you go to Acclivity.io or if you just search for Zilla Proxy, you'll uh, land on the GitHub repo. And then from there, you 
we'll find uh, the the links to the necessary resources, the documentation, the quick starts. Um, Zilla is, as John said, fully declarative. So there's no coding that's involved. Uh, all you have to do is declare everything inside a YAML file. And then we have a VS Code extension that helps actually visualize this, what's, what's happening underneath the covers in Zilla so that the protocol transformation pipeline um, and help you navigate that there's a there's a Zilla extension for it. Cool. Sorry about that. I had uh, I had my mic off because my kids yelling at me in the background, but I heard all that. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe that's all the questions I have. Uh, Ralph, do you have any more questions? Not at the moment. It's yeah, pretty intriguing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I thought so as well. I'm very intrigued by this product. I would really want to try to, to use it um, and in some some capacity. Um, I love I love um, that it's open source and it's available for everybody to start playing with. Um, I'm hoping that you guys are getting a lot of traction as far as um, you know downloads and 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 uh, and views and clones for your uh, for your repository. But um, where can we find you guys next? And um, and are you doing any pot, are any like speaking presentations or or events? Yeah. So the 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 next uh, event where we're going to be represented at is uh, the Open Source India Conference. Uh, one of our team members that's that's based in India is actually presenting, and he's giving a talk about um, event driven. RESTful APIs with the help of Zilla. So um, if you're in that part of the world, uh, definitely make sure to stop by and uh, take a take a look at the session. Great. Well, thanks a lot again, uh, Leonid and John, for joining us. This was again um, some of it was a repeat from our original conversation, which was not recorded, but still mm -hmm. uh, very very intriguing um, to talk about again. Uh, love to keep in touch and please reach out anytime. Um, uh, for any, uh, you know, questions about the book and so on. Thank you so much, Hubert. And um, yeah, we we look forward to uh, having you try out Zilla and, and any feedback or inputs. I mean, Zilla is a growing project. We're trying to foster the community. Uh, we have an open source Slack community for Zilla as well, where, where we're very active. So any feedback or inputs, uh, you know, we're, we're always all ears and uh, can be found there. Perfect. Thanks yep. again. And if, uh, if, if you like what you see, then uh, make sure to give us a star on GitHub as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually cool. I mean, yeah. it's also worth worth mentioning basically, uh, that that the MQTT adapter from Confluent is, I think, proprietary. Or, yes. Um, and yes, that's proprietary. So that's, so that's a really good alternative, actually. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I believe that advanced, they uh, concentrate on um, on publish only from MQTT for ingest, whereas we're we're trying to make it look exactly like an MQTT broker where you, mm. the device can subscribe as well and receive perhaps remote commands to tell it to reboot or you know go fetch an over-the-air update or something like that. Yeah, that's a, an important call out, Ralph. I, I, I've forgotten that that was proprietary. So, yeah. I just looked up yesterday because I talked to my OT guys <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well and, the, and the other beauty is that once you deploy Zilla, you can spin up MPDT endpoints, but then you have the flexibility to set up REST, you know, service and events, gRPC endpoints, mm -hmm. config. So you right. don't have to actually run multiple solutions or, or deploy, you know, additional middleware or, or integrate, you know, mm -hmm. build integration, this whole, run this whole integration stack in order to support the, your non-Kafka clients that are trying to reach Kafka. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah, def- definitely got to play with it. There's there's a lot of, there's a lot to discover. I think in the repository. So I'm going to do that today. Uh, thanks again, you guys. Um, until next time, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye.